You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. What kind of programs does this school have? How are the test scores? How many kids do a classroom? Homes.com knows these are all things you ask when you're home shopping as a parent. That's why each listing on Homes.com includes extensive reports on local schools, including photos, parent reviews, test scores, student-teacher ratio, school rankings, and more. The information is from multiple trusted sources and curated by Homes.com's dedicated in-house research team. It's also you can make the right decision for your family. Homes.com. We've done your homework. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing from iHeartRadio. He always runs while others walk. Yes. <laughs> this is such an anthem. This song is one of the most wonderful and preposterous anthems to masculinity and chauvinism I've ever heard in my life. My favorite is he knows the meaning of success. His needs are more, so he gives less. He gives less. (laughs) Exactly. Don Black wrote the lyrics. Oh, my God. And he said, the song doesn't make any sense, but it rhymes. You know, he said. (laughs) It's about a guy who's a big fan of himself. And they're going, all I know is we got to get a guy that can sing the shit out of this song (laughs) and make everybody forget that it's not about anything. You know what I mean? Well, the thing was, in those days with the James Bond, all those songs were big songs. So they wanted a big singer that could sing, that had a big voice. He will break any heart Fight goes on and on and on. But he thinks that the fight 
My guest today is perhaps the only singer who could have made that song work, Tom Jones. Legend has it Jones nearly passed out, holding that final note in this song Thunderball, the theme song from the fourth James Bond film. Tom Jones' booming baritone has led him to sell over 100 million records in his nearly six-decade career. Thunderball was just one of a burst of hits for Jones, when he started out in the mid-1960s, including It's Not Unusual, What's New Pussycat, She's a Lady, Green Green Grass of Home, I'll Never Fall in Love Again, and Delilah. After topping the UK charts in 1965, Jones quickly crossed over to the US. He won the Best New Artist Grammy Award in 1965 and appeared regularly on The Ed Sullivan Show. He even hosted his own TV variety show, This Is Tom Jones. Along the way, Tom Jones perfected the sexiest man alive look and devoted himself to playing live shows. He headlined in Las Vegas at least one week a year between 1967 and 2011. Growing up in South Wales, Jones assumed he'd work in the coal mines like his father. But at age 12, he contracted tuberculosis. He spent the next two years convalescing, listening to American R&B music and dreaming of a very different life. I was always interested in music. Music was always there. Since I was a very young child, I was always listening to the, to the radio. And there's a lot of singers in my family, you see. Mm. My uncle uh, was really good. So I would be listening to these singers growing up. And then when I had TB, they said, uh, just go to bed and stay there. That's all it was in those days was rest. And uh, they were going to send me away, first of all. They said, you either got to go to Switzerland or Scotland, you know, somewhere where the air is, is pure. Mm -hmm. But when they checked out my house, we lived on a hill in South Wales, not, not near a coal mine. And uh, so they said, well, fine, if you can have your own room, you can stay home, which I was thrilled about because I didn't want to really go anywhere uh, at that age. Mm -hmm. Describe when you decide you've got what it takes to get up on stage and to start to perform. What Your early career is where? Where are you performing? Yeah, well, in school, first of all, mm -hmm. and then chapel, Presbyterian chapel. Right. I, never, I never liked being in a choir, though. I, I wanted to shine. You know, I was a show-off as right. a kid. I think a lot of entertainers are like that, you know, sh showing off. You, you find something that you're good at and you give it your full attention. So that's, that's what I was doing. So I was, it was more of listening to bl black gospel music on the radio. And then if I was going to sing the old rugged cross, you know, or uh, a hymn in chapel, I heard Mahalia Jackson sing it on, on the radio. And I thought, shit, you know, I mean, I want to sing it like that. They were playing black gospel music on the radio in the south of Wales? Yeah. The BBC would play a variety of things, and that was part of it. Sometimes you'd hear a blues song, you know, a black voice, you know, a gospel voice especially. I thought, wow, what is, you know, what is that? Why does that woman sound different to the way they were singing it in the chapel? Mm -hmm. It was a difference in it, you know, and that caught my ear. 
many of the great singers that we've had on the show. We've had quite a few. You know, Roger yeah, yeah. Daltrey, we had all these guys on here. And they all talked about the same thing, choir, choruses, you know, church-related, singing mm-hmm. when they were very young. But when do you decide you're going to go professional? When do you decide <laughs> you're going to get up there and we'll make a stab at that? And what's your first pro gigs? Where were you? Okay. First one was in a workman's club locally. It was on a Saturday night. I was 17, and I shouldn't have been in there. You've got to be, should have been 18, but I was in there, of course, with my father and his brothers, coal miners, you know. No. So I couldn't wait to get in there. You know, I couldn't wait to be a man. I wanted to drink pints of beer with these fellas. So I was there on a Saturday night, and they booked some concert party, they used to call them, and, and they didn't show up. So the fellow that was running it said, you, you know, you've got a guitar, right? I said, yeah, yeah. And he said, do you want to run home and get it and sing us a few songs? I said, sure. So I ran up the road, you know, it wasn't that far away, grabbed my guitar, an acoustic guitar, ran back there, and uh, rock and roll had just kicked in then. You see, it was in the 50s. This was 1957. So there I was doing, like, Elvis Presley songs, you know, and uh, stuff like that. So uh, that was it. And he gave me a pound. They gave you a beer. One pound. <laughs> yeah. One beer is your pound. Well, they, well, in those days, you could have a night out on a, on a pound. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I could have like five or six pints of beer, and that was it. So, so I thought, wow, this is great. So then I started going, playing other pubs and clubs and stuff like that. When does someone find you? Right. Well, I was, I was in one of these workmen's clubs. I got a, a band together by this time. There was a local... A uh, rock band, cover bands, they call them now. How course. many guys were in the band? Uh, three, there were three guitars. That was lead guitar, uh, bass guitar, and rhythm guitar, sure. and, a, and a drummer. So, so that it was, was you it. and four guys? Yeah. By the time I got with these fellas, they were playing a YMCA on a Friday night, right? Big so, time. Yeah. So now a Friday, was, for me, I was like 20 or 20, 21, something like that. And a Friday night was a drinking night, you see? Right. That was that was it. I was out with the fellas. I was working on construction by this time, and I'm out drinking in this pub. So I knew the bass player from this band, and he came in and he said, look, our singer hasn't shown. Could you come into the YMCA and sing some tunes with us? And I said, oh, come on, Vernon. His name was Vernon. I said, Vernon, it's Friday. You know what I mean? This is, <laughs> this is drinking, like, come on. And I said, Saturday is, you know, I do shows on Saturday. Well, he said... The singer didn't show. If you don't come, you know, we won't be able to do the, the, the show. So I said, uh, well, they don't have any booze in a YMCA. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so he said, well, what about if we get a crate of beer and stick it behind the, the curtains there, because they had a stage and everything, for dancing? So I said, sure. So I went there with a, this friend of mine, and I said, look, you know, when in doubt, great balls of fire. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know. That's the standard. So, Exactly. So he said, do you know Great Balls of Fire in C? And they said, sure. I said, well, then let's do it. So, boom. You know, and then when I'm up there with this. And you rattle my brain. Exactly. Too go. much love to have a man insane. You broke my wheel. Uh, but what a thrill. Oh, what a thrill. Goodness gracious. Great, great Balls of Fire. Exactly. So, so you, yeah. that was the standard. You need to know that song. Yes, exactly. Right. So that was it. And then I took this band that were already playing these YMCA's, you know, for kids. And, and I'd already gone into these workmen's clubs to sing to coal miners. So 
I said, look, there's a whole world here in South Wales in these workingmen's clubs. They've never had rock and roll music in there before. So they said, well, we don't know about it. I said, I've got a gig right tomorrow night. I'll take you all in there. So we get into this club, and as soon as we walk in, in those days, electric guitars, you know, and, and amplifiers and, and drums and all that shit, it was like, what the, f you know, is this? And I said, wait a minute, fellas, to the audience. And they said, oh, yes, we know you, Tommy, you were fine, but what about all these other bastards you got with you? I said, just give us, <laughs> give us a, you know, these are coal miners and, and their girlfriends and that. So I said to the boys, I said, look, keep the sound down, right? We'll do My Mother's Eyes. We'll do I Believe. We'll do some ballads that they understand. And right. then, when they're not looking, create balls of fire, right? <laughs> <laughs> then we're going to clip them. Exactly. And that's exactly what we did. And by the end of the night, from Pay Them Off, which we got first of all, which means pay them not to play, right? That's what they were shouting, pay them off. I said, just a second, you know, give us a chance. By the end of the night, the fellow that booked the show said, if I call the police station and get an extension, could you play until midnight? <laughs> <laughs> you know, in one night. Now, so someone finds you at one of these places? Yes. A professional finds you in uh, South Wales? Exactly. Who was that person? His name was Gordon Mills. And he was a songwriter, and he was all, also in a group then called the Viscounts, which were three fellas doing three-part harmonies. They had some hit records themselves. They were covering American uh, records, but I knew him. I'd seen him on TV. He had come to visit his mother in South Wales because he was, he was Welsh as well. So he came to see me in this club, and he said, uh, you should be in London. I said, I know that. You know, I've been there. Well, you've gone there for what? I went to get a record deal. Right. Because uh, they heard a tape that I did. And so I already had a record contract with Decca, but that was like three singles, you know, three strikes and you're out. That's mm -hmm. what I had. So then this Gordon Mill shows up and said, I can write songs. I write songs. And he had written some hit songs for other people. So I knew that he knew what he was talking about. And what did he write for you? Then he wrote, It's Not Unusual. He wrote, It's Not Unusual. He wrote it. Oh, yeah. my God. He had written it for a girl called Sandy Shaw, who had had some hit records. She'd had number ones, like two or three number ones. And he said, could you do the demo? So I said, sure. So we go into Region Sound in Denmark Street, oh and I did this demo, right? A demo. A demonstration record uh, for Sandy Shaw. So I said, you know, Gordon, this is the fucking song that we've been looking for. <laughs> and he said, he said, no, he said, you don't want that song. I said, yes, I do. You know, this is a hit song. Yeah. And he said, yeah, for Sandy Shaw. I said, no. I said, look, if I don't get this song, I'm going back to Wales. I said, fuck this. You, you know knew. I mean? You knew. You, oh, I knew. As soon as I heard it, I thought, this is a hit song. So then we went and recorded it properly, you know, with, with the brass bump, right. But, you know, like that. And then uh, there we are. We're off and running. So that was at the end of six, 1964. Did you run into Sandy Shore years later and she was drunk at a club and said, you <laughs> Boston? What happened to Sandy Shore? No, she said, I met her and she did my TV show later on, right? I had a TV show. So she came on there and she the said. The least you could do. And she said, when I heard you singing it, I said, whoever's singing this song, that's his song. There I wouldn't go. be able to sing that like that.
Now, so that song comes out and things change, I assume? Oh, overnight. <laughs> overnight. It's unbelievable. So, so much. So it went so fast up the charts, right? I'm in a pub. I'm doing a, a tour now with my band from Wales. Scylla Black, who was a singer then, she's passed on since. She had a tour and I was on there. I took, a, I took the place of a man called PJ Proby. He was busting his pants all the time. And they said, you keep doing that and we, you're out the fucking door. So <laughs> he busted his pants once too often. And you kept sending a piece of cheesecake over to his table. <laughs> have, exactly. have the cheesecake. It's really good. Have it. Try this. Exactly. <laughs> so I was doing all that. So, so there I am on, on this tour. And uh, it's not unusual. It starts going up the chart. And I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know it, it was moving that fast. So I'm in a pub in between shows with rock bands from, a lot of them were from Liverpool at the time because the Beatles, you know, like that. Right. So I'm in this pub and all these kids are screaming outside. And me, like a schmuck, I walk straight out into the crowd thinking that they were there for somebody else, not knowing that it's not unusual had gone up the charts so fast. And I walk straight into this thing while they ripped the shit out of my... I had this, I had one raincoat to my name and the thing went yeah. flying all over the place. So I thought, well, this is it. You know, I'm They're in tearing it tearing you limb from limb. Exactly. Overnight. You know, like a week before, you couldn't get a price of a, of a drink, you know. Superstar crooner Tom Jones, another staggeringly accomplished artist who rose to fame in the 60s, was Herb Alpert. In addition to his virtuosic trumpet playing, he was also the A in A&M Records, the world's largest independent record label. In our conversation, Alpert talked about passing on a song that became a hit for the Carpenters. As I'm walking out of Hal's door, I said, Hal, is there a song that you think I might be able to handle? Or a song that you have tucked away in the drawer, the same yarn I gave Bert. Two days later, he sent me Close to You, which was going to be the follow-up to uh, th This Guy's in Love with You. I recorded it in the studio. I'm, I'm listening to the playback, and my engineer friend, Larry Levine, rest his soul, looked at me and says, man, you sound terrible singing this song. <laughs> Forget it. I lost my confidence. I put that thing in the drawer when I signed the Carpenters in uh, 1970. So a year later, I gave him Close to You. Hear the rest of my conversation with Herb Alpert at heresthething.org. After the break, Tom Jones talks about how he developed his onstage sex appeal. Mother's Day is coming, and Mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get Mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get Mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So, instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails, and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day, because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. 
Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is Here's the Thing. Tom Jones had a breakout hit with It's Not Unusual in 1965, and he was eager to get to the top of the charts again. But he couldn't have been more surprised by the song that took him there. And all of a sudden, uh, my manager says, look, you know Burt Bacharach is? I said, of course I do. You know, Hal David was and the Hal, lyricist. Yeah. Exactly. So they have written a song for a Woody Allen film, right? Uh, oh, okay. And they want you to do the title song. And it's called What's New Pussycat? I said, uh, oh, great, okay. Let me hear it. So we go to this flat in London. Bert Barkley, like I say, and he was with Angie Dickinson then, who I was in love with. And I'm just a, you know, 24-year-old fella. And I'm sitting there. I said, okay, can I hear the song? And he said, sure. So now Bert Bacharach can't sing. You know, I mean, he admits to it himself. He can't. He's a great songwriter, but he's not a singer. So he's at the piano, and he starts. Now, I've been listening to rhythm blues records like that, rock and roll, 50s rock and roll. Yeah. All of a sudden, Burt Bacharach's on this piano going, dan 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 and I said, uh, you're pulling my leg, right? And he said, what? I said, you're trying to catch me out, aren't you? I said, here I am, you know, 24 years old, from Wales, don't know anything. You're playing this piece of shit, and you were trying to say, what do you think? And I'm going to go, this oh, is a test. yeah. It's a test. Uh, yeah, it's a test. So, you, and then, then you're going to say, well, that's not the song. This is the... And he said, that's the song. <laughs> and I said, so my manager's there now. You know, this is Burt Bacharach. You know, he's what I'm behind Burt Bacharach, looking at you, going, "Stop, stop, yeah, 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 stop." Well, yeah, and, and, and I said, "Look, I said I can't, I can't sing this," and he says, "Well, of course you can." I said, "No, I can't." I said, "It doesn't make any sense to me," you know. So, fair play for Burt. You know, he said, "I'll demo it. I'll make a demonstration record of it, so you can li live with it for at least a week and see what you think." So my manager is like, you know, Gordon Mills. He's gone white. 
and and the music publisher is there, you know, and he's like, oh shit, you know, Burt Bacharach, Woody Allen film, you know what I mean? And this schmuck from Wales is saying he can't do it. So anyway, so I live with the song, and until I did it, I wasn't sure of it. You know, I mean, I said, when did you get it? Like take nine? I mean, when? When I sang it, as soon as I got in the studio, he was there, which was strange. He had four up, four upright pianos in a square, and he's banging away on them, right? And he's got this full orchestra there, and he goes, okay, you need to think of this as like the midnight hour, yeah. right? You're Wilson Pickett, you do a midnight hour, sing the shit out of it. <laughs> and I said, all right. So what you hear is is pussy cat pussy cat yeah. you're delicious yeah, yeah and if my, my wishes wish can <laughs> all come true yeah yeah I'll soon be kissing, kissing your, your sweet, sweet little pussy cat lips yes you act inside the song there's a performance right. inside the song quite right you're super masculine I mean like I told you you look like you're the captain of the rugby team you look like you chopped down the whole forest with an axe when you were a little boy. <laughs> You're so super masculine in your performance persona, and it was so delightful to have you play do these playful words. You know, a lot of these yeah. songs are very playful. Yes. They're not just like like Green Green Grass of Home is a straight-ahead, just killer ballad. I mean, there's one of the great ballads of all time, and you sing the shit out of it. But it's a very straight-ahead, sentimental, old-school kind of ballad, whereas yeah. the, uh, some of these other songs you sang, like Pussycat's the best example, and Thunderball, it's very playful. There's a kind of a, there's a performance you have to give. Yes, yes. You've got to treat it like you mean it. And even though it's like a, a novelty song, really, you know, you've got to try and make this novelty. Take it seriously. Take it seriously. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I honestly, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head when you say acting. You know, I think singers are actors. It's just that we put it into, uh, into, into song. But it's still acting. That's the way I feel. You've got to get in the song and live it. You make it your own or you put your own self in that character. And that's what I always, what I always say about, you know, they say, oh, you covered this. Rec-. No, no, I didn't cover it. I gave you my interpretation of it. <laughs> right. Right. Just like an actor does with when right. she, he or she does a role. With it's going to be different, different to what somebody yeah, else would do with it. Yeah. Exactly. Now, 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 when you, now, during the 60s and the 70s and beyond, everything just seems much more deliberate in terms of packaging a star. You know, their mm-hmm. albums and their, on the, remember, album artwork on the album covers and the liner sure. notes. And there was such a presentation of things that were so much deeper and richer than they seem to be now. And, and, and one thing, is, of course, is, is uh, costuming. I mean, you're a guy who mm-hmm. comes out there and you got the jumpsuits and everything. You're obviously a very fit guy. Whose mm-hmm. idea was it to make you into the sex symbol in terms of your <laughs> styling? Okay. You are an unrepentant sex symbol in your styling. Whose idea was that? Uh, mine. Yours. <laughs> yeah. Literally. Literally. Literally, it came from necessity, really. I would start off in a suit. Yes. Right? Because I was told to. You know, when I had my TV show, they said, you've got to put a suit on. You've got to put a tuxedo on. You know, you've got to put a bow tie on. I said, this is not natural for me. You know, I, I don't like that. You know, so anyway, I would get rid of it as soon as possible. So the tie would come off, the jacket would come off, the shirt would be open. You know what I mean? Because I was sweating my bollocks off, <laughs> in, in, in actual fact. You know what I mean? So I had to strip down. I mean, I, I did a rehearsal once in a club in London, and uh, same thing happened in rehearsal. I, I said, fuck the coat. You know, i got to get, this, get rid of this jacket. You know, and I'm, I'm here 
and my shirt was open, and Gordon Mills said to me, that's the look. I said, what? He said, as you are now, without the jacket, with the shirt open, yeah. you know, you look like you're going to, you know, you're going to conquer the fucking world. Yeah. And I said, well, that's yeah. the, <laughs> that's you're gonna the general idea. You're going to bite the world on the ass. <laughs> exactly. You're going to take a bite out of everything. Exactly. But anyway, so that's what it was. It was from necessity. So, I mean, when, when you're finding your look, when you're finding your thing uh, to yeah. perform, it's all you. You're calling the shots. Yeah, more or less. You know, I mean, I, I had to tone it down. On network TV. Yeah. Well, the first time I came up against it was when I came to do an Ed Sullivan show in 65, uh, which is not unusual, and they said, uh, we've got to see you do it. You know, let, let's watch you in, in the rehearsal yeah. room. And I said, well, play the record. You know, you, no, no, we need to hear you yeah. say it. How we you need to see it. how much wiggling you're going to do. Exactly. So I started doing my thing, you know, and they said, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, they said, you Easy can't boy. do that. You can't do that on television on Sunday night. You know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> and I said, why? And they said, because you can't. And I thought, shit. I thought America was like, you know, wide open, British television. I was doing it. And I thought, well, shit, if I could do it in England, how come, you know, in New yeah. York on the Ed Sullivan? Oh my God, yeah. But they were telling me the same thing as they told Elvis Presley in 56 when he went on there, nine years before me. They were giving me the same bullshit. They said, if you do that, we'll cut the close-ups. Did you tone it down or you didn't? I, yeah, yeah, a bit. You I did tone, tone it down. down. I had yeah. to. Because you, my manager said, you know, and the people around me had said, if you don't, they, they won't let you on there. You know, they'll cut you out of the show. So I thought, well, that's no good. You know, I, I want to get on the Ed Sullivan show because Elvis Presley, you know, that was his big break, really, at the beginning of his career. Sure. And the same thing for the Beatles. As far as America sure. was concerned, yeah. that was it. So I thought, well, you know, behave yourself to a certain extent yeah. and hopefully... Get invited back. Yes. And, he, and thank God he liked me so much. I did like five Ed Sullivan shows, right. you know, within that year. Yeah, that it helps. was tremendous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, describe for me, if you would, um, I remember back in 1990, I was going to do a film that had a kind of a Vegas theme to it. So a group of us in the cast went to Vegas for a long weekend. And I wasn't much of a Vegas person, but mm -hmm. we go and he gets tickets for us to go see Sinatra at right. Bally's. And uh, Sinatra comes out, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. It was beyond belief how fantastic he was. It, we, we, you couldn't yeah. even describe. And his uh, one of his ass assistants comes out. We were looked at her. We said, oh, my God, it's just, we can't believe it. She said, yeah, he laid off the booze. He laid off the cigarettes. He ate really well. He really trained and uh -huh. got himself ready to come back. He really wanted to pamper his voice and come and really do this. And he sounded like... It was 1955, you know, he sounded so magical. What's that like for you? Have you had to, because you, you had polyps, correct? Yeah, yeah, I had polyps because I was doing two shows a night in Las Vegas for a month straight. No you strained your nights. voice. Yeah, so I was over singing. And Frank Sinatra, God bless him, said to me, you're giving too much. You don't have to hit everything as hard as you are. You know, he said, you've got to be able to lighten shade. You know, you won't last if you do this twice a night. You're going to be in trouble. And me, macho fucker, you know, from Wales, you know, like, yeah. I could do this, you know what I mean? But he was right. After a while, it took its toll. Right. And then I had to see a man in, in, uh, in L.A., and he said, you've got these nodules on your vocal cords because you're overdoing it. You've got to learn to pull back doing two shows a night Take in Las Vegas. Gas, yeah. Exactly. So I had to learn that. That's one thing I had to learn, light and shade, not to hammer, you know, all the time. Yeah. 
And then, and then the uh, when you would record, uh, mm-hmm. uh, when you went into the recording studio, was that something you love? Because many artists I talk to, they say that's their favorite thing is to get in there and just and to lay mm-hmm. it down exactly the way they wanted to make it perfect. Did you love yeah. recording? Yeah, yeah. I, well, it's to be honest with you, all roads lead to the stage. That's what I feel. Everything I do is it all leads to live performances. You're never happier than when you're up there. Exactly. That's when I breathe. That's when I come alive. So all the other things, you know, that I do, uh, like TV and promotion on records and, you know, everything that goes with it, it all leads to when I get up there and do it live to the people, you know, and that's when it shows. That's when you think, shit, I thought this song would work better than this, or I wasn't uh, prepared for this song to work as well. You don't really know when you're in the recording studio, there's a difference to when you're on stage. When you've got to perform these songs, it's a difference. There's no feedback from the audience in the studio. Yeah. Well, exactly. So you Which don't I enjoy. Know. If I do plays, I enjoy that feeling them out there. I can feel them out there, you know. Right. As far as I'm concerned, that's where I live, right. is on the stage. Singer Tom Jones. Follow Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave us a review. When we return, Tom Jones talks about meeting Elvis Presley and playing with Jerry Lee Lewis. Mother's Day is coming, and Mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get Mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get Mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So, instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails, and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day, because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! 
Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is Here's the Thing. Tom Jones was married to his wife, Linda, for nearly 60 years until her death in 2016. They fell in love at age 12 and had their son, Mark, when Linda was just 16 and Tom was 17. Even from those early days singing in the local pubs, Tom Jones had a family to support. You know, some people say, well, did it get in the way? No, it gave me more determination. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a man, desperately. You know, I saw my cousins going to the pubs with my father and his brothers. You know, I desperately wanted to get in that world. You know, so getting married was one of those things. It was Another like a rite of passage. Exactly. Look at this. I'm and I can I can do this. You know, I can provide. I can provide for my wife and son. And then uh, my wife was always a fan of mine. You know, when we were in school, she loved the way I sang, and she knew what I wanted to do. Now, whether I'd succeed or not, it was anybody's guess. But when Gordon Mills came to see us you know, see me in this uh, club. She knew, she'd seen him on television, and she said, wow, you know, that'd be great if Gordon Mills, if you could do that, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? I said, yeah. So it was always like a family affair. You know, I, I had, uh, the people in Wales all loved the way I sang. All my family, you know, was like, yes, Tommy, you know, Tommy can do it, go on, Tom. You know, it was all that. And my wife was the same way, you see, so she gave me strength. You know, she reassured me that I could do it. So you were together. You were married for how long? 59 years. 59 years. Yes, we were married for 59 years. We were together before that. But that TB thing got in the way. I used to look at her through the, from the window uh, of my room. <laughs> you know, she was becoming yes. a woman, yeah. and, and I wasn't out there. <laughs> yeah. You're like, you hey, know, hang but, on a minute. Let exactly. me just get rid of this TB thing, and I'll be right over. Exactly. But let me ask you this, which is, you're married for 59 years, but according to other things I've read about you, that didn't prevent you from becoming, shall we say, a goodwill ambassador around the world, if you will. Quite right. To your Quite fans. Right. You had many fans. <laughs> you had many female fans. And you felt the need to let the relationship with you go to another level. Let them into your life a little bit. Is that correct? Yes. <laughs> well, I tell you, my wife... You know, I, I made a statement once which she didn't particularly like. I said, my wife keeps me single. She prevents me from doing something stupid. Right. You know, like marrying some young girl, you know, and then putting her in for a new model, you know, as time goes on, right. as a lot of people do. You know what I mean? But my wife, you see, I always had this wonderful excuse, always up front saying, look, excuse me, whatever we do is going to be fun and games. My wife is number one. Right. She is there in this house, you know, as long as she don't find out. You know, she didn't give me yeah. the right of passage. She didn't say, oh, I'm going to, you know, put the, put the blinders on. Right. Oh, no. She said, just don't you dare embarrass me. And I said, I will not ever, I won't do that, you know. And, and I was true to my word. I never did. She was always number one in my life. And she gave me strength. She was, it wasn't until she passed away, to be honest with you, that I realized I'm on my own now. I know, I know. I always remember that wonderful quote that I, I'm told was from Sophia Loren. And they asked her, what would you think if you found out your husband was with another woman? And she said, if my husband slept with a thousand women, that would hurt me. 
She goes, but if my husband slept with the same woman a thousand times, then I'd really be concerned, she said. Yeah. You know, but that if he it. was in love, if he was in love, if everything else was just uh, sport, if you will. You know? Exactly. That's, that's, you've hit the nail right on the head. You know, my wife, God bless her, she would get out of, out of joint if, if I had seen somebody, you know, and she knew that there was more to it than... Yeah. If it matters. Fun and games. Now, you see, for all of us when we're young, especially if we come from a background, and my dad was a public school teacher, he had no money, he had six kids. I remember when I was leaving home, the mantra was, I got to make money. Everything was a problem about money and, and all the friction oh. in my household between my parents was about the lack of money. Money. But at yes. the same time, you're out there and you're not even conscious. I mean, you just work. You're like an animal, performing and performing and performing. And then you don't realize, I mean, for me, it was probably my early 30s and mid-30s. I realized how lonely I was. I was lonely. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if that was a part of it for you as well, which is you're on the road. I mean, I'm sure it's about your libido <laughs> yeah. on one level. But on the other level, was it about being lonely because you were traveling? Um, now, that question has never been asked before. I've got to try and analyze it. Uh, Do you remember being lonely during that period when you were taken off? No. I, uh, to be honest with you, I never was. So I can't, you know. That doesn't apply. Okay. No. I, I, I was like a kid in a candy yeah, shop. I was just going to say, I was just going to say you were a, you were the proverbial kid in a candy store. In a can and I still, I mean, and I never got and rid of that feeling. you still are? Are you and saying I still, you still I still I'm just, I'm just an 80-year-old version of, of what I was before. But, you know, it's a strange thing with time. You know, when time goes on, things happen to you, and you think, I wonder what I'm going to be like if I get to be old. You know, what will I be like? And things do, nature has a way of making you accept certain things, you know, with your life. You can't be what you were. You can't. If you think you can, you're a fool you know, to yourself. You've got to be what you are. And I've always tried to be as honest as possible, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and that's a fact on my life. And, and I f still feel the same way now. You know, I'm, I'm an 80-year-old man now. My wife has passed away five years ago. I took a hell of a time to get over that because I realized mm -hmm. I was on my own, which I had never thought of before. Mm -hmm. And then when that's taken away from you, you think, Jesus Christ, I've never experienced this before in my life. And uh, so that took an adjustment. But my wife, God bless her, she said, look, you know, go back to London, go back to, to, to Britain. The Is that what you there. wanted? Is that what you, was that the dream for you? Oh, yeah. We were, you missed home. Yes. My wife, you see, was always homesick. Even though we had wonderful houses in Los Angeles, she always had it in her mind that we would eventually come home. Well, I noticed that for me, I turned 63 this year. You're the same age as my son. That's true. Well, yeah. you were impossibly young. But my, I got remarried, and my wife and I had six kids in seven years. Now, wait a minute. Can I, can yeah. I just say this? Sure. Did you, did you come here to confess or just to brag? <laughs> a little of both, I must say. A little of both. <laughs> but, but one thing I realize, one thing I realize is as, as, as I'm getting older is that I used to be very political. And the older I get, the less so I am because I'm like— you know, there's a time when you're younger, when you want to go out in all affairs, your career, your advocacy, whatever or causes you want to support, and you go yep. out there and you bite it as hard as you can, and you, and you get in there and fight, and you're in mm -hmm. the scrum there with people. And then as I turned 60 and had these kids, I thought, you know, I think I'm done with that for the time being. I only have the energy to raise my family and go to work. Yeah. And all these ancillary Well, that's things. it. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, that's 
as you said to begin with, you know, when you when you come from a working class background or a middle class background, you want to go out and make money. You want to get out and provide for your family if you can. That's your first thing. And look, now that you're as old as you are and you've got a, a family, you you you're basically doing the same thing, right? As my friend said when I turned 60, we still have plenty of time, but none to waste. And yeah. I love that phrase. You know, when you're young, you think you've got all the time in the world. Exactly. exactly. And you got, you're going to do a lot, and you're going to do this and do that. You know, I was going to make movies. I was going to, you know, I had all these great ideas about what I was going to do. And then before you know where you are, time is sort of gone. So you got to, you know, you, you come to realize, well... Now my grandkids, you know, the, my grandchildren are here, my son, my daughter-in-law, my grandkids. That's where I am now. What would you say, especially since you turned 50, 55, 60, 65, as you were getting older, what's mm-hmm. been your health regimen? Because you sound like you're 40 years old. You're so energetic. You're so alert. You're so healthy. Are you a big, are you, is it nutrition? Is it exercise? What's your thing? Uh, yeah, exercise. I used to run a lot, you know. Uh, then I got a bit of trouble with my knee, so I don't, but I still, I got on a cross trainer, right. you know, I'm on a bike. I do, to get the heart rate up, yeah. you've got to, Other you've cardio. got to face, yeah, you've got to do cardio, you've got to, and of course, you've got to be careful with the demon drink, you know, I mean, I used to love to, you know, have a few years ago. I know if I want to keep living, I've got to listen to, to what the doctors say, yeah. you know, and, and be careful. And if you do that, as long as you've got good health, which I've been lucky enough to have, you know, there's never everything uh, really wrong with me, is that you've got to make the most of it. And as you say yourself, time is getting, you know, more valuable, I feel. Now, when you were doing the TV show, I would imagine, you did five seasons of that show, correct? Yeah. And when you did that, where did you shoot that, L.A.? Uh, we did most of it in London, just outside, north of London, and then some of it from Los Angeles as well. Now, when you would do that show or any performances you've done, who are people that for you that when you were up there on stage with them, you really just thought, this is great, somebody you loved <laughs> performing with? Well, first of all, the one that jumps to mind is Jerry Lee Lewis. Okay. Because I bought a whole lot of shaking going on when I was 17, you know, and I heard this record and I thought, fuck me, who is that? You know, because Elvis... You know, everybody said, Elvis is a freak. And I said, it can't be one. There can't just be one guy, you know, some white guy that's been listening to black singers in the South. And, oh, yes, it is. He's a freak. And then I hear a whole lot of shaking. Jerry Lee Lewis. And I said, Jesus Christ, you know, this is the same thing, but he's playing piano. You know, he's not standing up there with a guitar. He's actually pounding the shit out of this piano with another, another flavor. So when I got Jerry Lee on my show and I'm looking across the, the piano at him, doing the songs with him, you know, like I went back to when I was 17, you know, when I first heard a whole lot of shaking. And here I am. Same thing with Little Richard, you know, same thing. I was a big Little Richard fan. I had all his records. And there he is. And I'm doing Good Golly Miss Molly with him, you know, and send me some loving. So that was my dream. I was living my dream you know, like that. And the same when I met Elvis Presley. I used to sing with him in his suite in Las Vegas, but Parker wouldn't let him record with anybody, so we never got to record together. But I did sing with him, and I thought, this is fantastic. And then Sinatra, I never got to sing with him, but I knew him. I that met him. That would have been great. That you know, drank awesome. with him. Oh, it's... Now, you were very close to, was it Mary Wilson? Yeah, Mary Wilson of right. the Supremes. Right. Yes. And did you, did you record with her? 
Uh, no. I almost signed with Motown. They right. wanted me to sign. I would have been the only white artist on the label at that time. Right. But, but it didn't work out. But we, yeah, we, we got close. But she met my wife afterwards. You know, everything was, was cool. Uh, yeah. She was a good person and she's passed away since. But she was really, really lovely, lovely girl. Nick Tashas wrote this very famous biography of Dean Martin. And, uh, and there's a moment in the book when Elvis is, is, is surging and Martin plays Elvis' song. Then he takes it off the turntable, puts on a record of his and plays a song. Then he takes mm-hmm. that off the turntable and he puts on Bing Crosby and plays a song. And he says, what's the difference? Bing to me, to Elvis, to that one. He said, crooning is crooning. Singing is singing. Do you feel that way? Do you feel that you're part of a line of great male vocalists? Yes, yes. And, and, and as Dean Martin said, uh, I think Bing Crosby was maybe the first pop singer. Yes. You know, that I can and remember Frank. when I was a kid. Right. You know, my mother and father listened to him. Bing yeah. Crosby was iconic. I can never get tired of going on YouTube and watching those shows of them together, being with Frank. And High Society, they were in the movie together. Yeah, they were in the so. movie together, yeah. And then Frank would sing with Elvis. But there's yes. that wonderful thing on YouTube where they switch songs, and Elvis sings Witchcraft. Yes. Uh, uh, and, and Frank sings, what's the song Frank sings? Love Me Tender. Love Me Tender. Love Me yeah. Tender. Me tender. Love, me Love Me Sweet. Me. Yeah. Never let me go. go. He's got the Frank yeah. rhythm to it, you know what I mean? <laughs> I know. It's so funny. That video is so funny. Let me ask you this, which is that you've sang some very colorful songs and very kind of kitschy songs like uh, Pussycat mm-hmm. and so forth. But you've also sang songs that are just beautiful pop, like She's a Lady. Uh, mm-hmm. Who wrote that song, She's a Lady? Uh, Paul Anka. But Paul Anka. Paul Anka. Paul now, Paul Anka, Anka uh, this oh, is the truth. Paul yeah. Anka was doing my TV show, right? And he said to me, I've just written this song, and you would sing the shit out of it. It's called My Way, right? And I said, really? And he said, yeah, yeah. And he had done a demo on it, so I listened. I said, wow, that sounds great, that song. He said, the only problem is my publisher has sent it to Frank Sinatra. Now, if Frank wants to do it, Frank does it, you know. You know, but with Frank Sinatra, once he told me, because when I listened to the song, I thought, have I lived long enough yet? You know, because I was 30 years old at the time. You needed you know. a few more rings on yeah. the tree there to sing that yeah. song. Now yeah. I could do it. Yeah, you could. Now, you, well, now well, I let's hear it. it. But, but I want to ask you this. <laughs> there, there, um, this makes me a little emotional because there, there's the Tom Jones we know. Mm-hmm. Handsome as the day is long. Powerful. But there's a boy in a house in the south of Wales. Mm-hmm. And he wants to be a coal miner. He wants to be a man. He's got tuberculosis. He's Mm -hmm. going to go on to become one of the most popular and the most famous male vocalists in history. But when what's what's the song that Tom Jones sings? That's the song for that boy. Is there a song that really touches you? What's the ballad you sang where sometimes you almost thought you might crack? It's so about you. There's one that that I did a Bob Dylan song. It was called, What Good Am I? What good am I if I don't do this? You know, if I let this happen and don't do anything about it. That song is hard to sing for me now because the last verse is, What good am I if I say foolish things and I laugh in the face of what sorrow brings uh, and I just turn my back while you silently die? What good am I? And I think, mm. fuck. You know, did I, could I have done, could I, could I have done something? But I couldn't. But that song is hard. 
What advice does the great Tom Jones have for his successors, these, the young Harry Styles and all these performers mm-hmm. out there? Just hold on to what you got. I mean, you've got to, you've got to do it your own way. You know, you've got to stick to your guns. Take advice, you know, listen and take advice from people or I would never have recorded What's New Pussycat, you know, I mean, if I'd just gone on instinct. So you've got to listen and you've got to take advice, but at the end of the day, it comes down to yourself. And that's got to be you. You've got to be able to look in the mirror and say, I've done the best I can. I'm doing what I love to do. If you can't talk to yourself like that, how can you talk to anybody else? Well, let me just say thank you. Thank you so much. I'm glad you sound great. You look fantastic. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. All the best. The once and forever sexiest man alive, Tom Jones. He had a hit with his cover of this song, Green Green Grass of Home, in 1966. I'm Alec Baldwin. Here's the Thing is brought to you by iHeart Radio. Yes, Smiling sweetly, it's good to touch the green, green grass of home. The old house is still standing, though the paint is cracked and dry. And there's that old oak tree that I used to play on. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.